you know, we're in the middle of an affordability crisis and it's not going to go away anytime soon. We're missing 5 million homes in the United States. That's the lowest estimate. It's ironic that there's 15 million vacant homes in the United States. And this is, this is not a, a secret. This is from the 2020 census. Like people know about this, right? They're just challenging to find, identify, and position. I think real estate investors are going to be a big part in this solution, the, 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 the unlikely hero at the end of the day. Good morning, and this is Deconstruct, a podcast by The Real Deal. I'm Isabella Farr. And I'm Susanna Kavanaugh. Today, we are chatting with the founder of New Western. That's Kurt Carlton. New Western is an investment platform that focuses exclusively on residential buildings. So it lets its customers buy a house and then refurb it to boost the value. We touched on how the platform has really appealed to younger generations who feel sort of boxed out of their local housing markets, talking about big cities especially, and they want a chance to own a property and build wealth. Kurt also sees New Western as a type of remedy for the housing crisis because the firm specializes in identifying vacant units and getting them back on the market. So we'll get into all of that in a bit. It seems fitting to have a conversation about all of this now, given mortgage rates are still ticking up. The average fixed rate for a 30-year mortgage hit 6.91% on May 31st. That's according to the Mortgage Bankers Association. So I'm interested to hear how he's thinking about home investment, especially in the light of rising rates. Yeah, definitely. We touched on that a bit and sort of like the differences between now and the Great Recession, which are definitely, you know, definitely interesting. So on to more news from last week, though. I think we should start in Texas, which we gave a lot of airtime last week. But I think we're making up for always starting New York. Reporter Joe Lovinger had a story about Nate Paul. He's a developer at the center of an impeachment scandal in Texas. So a state house committee has recommended that Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton be impeached. And Paul was mentioned in at least seven of the 20 articles of impeachment introduced against Paxton. So pretty damning. Wow. What are the charges there? Okay, so bribery, misappropriation of public resources, and disregard of official duty are just a few of them. Paul allegedly renovated Paxton's Austin home and hired Paxton's mistress as an employee at his firm. And then in exchange, he received favors from the attorney general. And those favors came at a time when his real estate portfolio was being hit with a wave of foreclosures. So a lot going on there. So for those unfamiliar with the development world in Texas, who is Nate Pohl? Mm -hmm. He is the 36-year-old CEO of World Class Capital, and he made a lot of his money on self-storage facilities. In 2017, Forbes said he owned something like $1.2 billion worth of properties, about 120 properties across 17 states, and altogether 10 million square feet of commercial space. Wow. So yeah, definitely a hefty portfolio there. And I'm sure that there's more to come as more of the case unfolds. So let's head over to San Francisco. Reporter Emily Landis had a story about this apartment portfolio that industry insiders have been keeping an eye on for months. Veritas, which is a big landlord in San Francisco, is looking to make a bid on its own debt connected to a nearly 2,500 unit apartment portfolio. That seems weird. Why is it bidding on its own debt? Yeah. So 
Definitely a strange circumstance here, but Veritas defaulted on about a billion dollars worth of loans connected to about 95 apartment buildings. The default started in November of last year. And as a result, the lenders put the loans up for sale, trying to recover whatever losses they can. And now Veritas is planning to find a new financial partner and bid on its own debt. That's according to a source familiar with the matter. Okay. So basically they want back in on their portfolio. Right. So the source added that Veritas would try to be more conservative going forward. So they're expecting bids to come in at less than a billion dollars, which means there would be a lower loan to value ratio. And in that situation, there's less leverage, meaning they'd owe less on a monthly basis. And it's hoping all of that will make long-term ownership more viable. So they're basically pitching a safer bet if they can get back in. Yeah. We'll have to keep an eye out on that and see if they come out on top. Okay, so back to New York. I saw that there were a few items about 421A, the tax exemption for developers building new multifamily buildings in New York, that expired last year. One was a lawsuit. Yeah, so this has been... A hot issue. Um, And we saw what we think is our first lawsuit about a development plot last week. So three equity investors have sued developers Joseph Rubin and Samuel Hakens, claiming the developers lured them into investing in an apartment project in Crown Heights. The investors allege that Rubin and Hakens advertised that the project was set to benefit from the tax break, but failed to beat the deadline to actually score it. So they never actually qualified for the exemption. Yeah, that's right. And the investor said that they relied on the appraisal report provided by Rubin and Hakens, which said the tax exemption would raise the value of the deal by $5 million. But just to be clear, this tax break is like make or break for New York projects because it offers a 35-year abatement. So Without it, most developers say they can't even build multifamily in New York. So it'll be interesting to see if we get more lawsuits like this popping up. I would not be surprised. There were a lot of um, prospective developers who were sort of new to the game trying to get the tax break before it expired. And it's fair to say probably not all of those projects will pan out. So Got it. So remind me of the timeline with the tax exemption. To get the 35-year tax break, developers had to build a foundation in the ground by June 15th last year um, and then finish construction by June 2026. By build a foundation, it's really bare minimum. They had to get the footings in the ground or the pilings, so just like the first step. Got it. And then the other piece of news I saw was that Carlisle, the huge private equity firm, bought a 421A-approved site in Brooklyn. Yeah, so they bought a site in Gowanus for $100 million from Kevin Maloney's Property Markets Group. The site is approved for 517 residential units, and PMG actually broke ground before June 2022, so so they have the 421A approval. And I think we should definitely keep an eye on Gowanus. There was a rezoning there to allow more resi projects to happen, and it was definitely a hotbed for developers. They were sort of looking for opportunities there ahead of the tax break expiration. That's interesting. But they'll have to finish the project by 2026 to actually receive that tax abatement. Yeah, that's right. So there was sort of something on the table during budget negotiations where Kathy Hochul put forward a proposal that would extend that deadline to finish stuff because otherwise, I wrote about this months ago, but there's likely to be just a bunch of dead space laying around where people can't finish projects. Um, But that fell through. So 
2026 is the year. The hard deadline at this point. Okay, got it. Okay, let's get into my interview with Kurt Carlton, founder and president of real estate investment platform, New Western. Well, I'm Kurt Carlton. I've been in various areas of real estate for the last several decades, but we founded a company called New Western, started in 2008. New Western's a marketplace for real estate investors where they find houses to to fix up, value add opportunities. Um, We're in 52 markets around the country. Right now, we trade a house about every 13 minutes or so. And uh, we're probably the largest source for these types of assets in the United States right now. Can you tell us a little bit more of how the platform works, like if I'm looking at it, how I would navigate it? And then you focus primarily or exclusively on residential, right? Exclusively on residential. There's some small multifamily opportunities, things like that. But really, we work with um, the smaller investors. You know, there's there's different types of investors out there. There's these big institutional investors uh, that buy up a lot of rental homes. There's I buyers, and then there's these independents that buy houses in neighborhoods they know and understand, and that's our customer. You know, we we started this in 2008, and the reason we started it is because. There wasn't really an easy solution or one place to go where you could find these types of houses. So there was all these real estate investors that came into the market looking for opportunities in 2008. And they had to go to many, many different places. So we just made it easy. Uh, We put everything in one place. We curated all of the opportunities on on the platform to be these value add type houses, something that a real estate investor could purchase and they could find some unique way to add value to the house. That could be adding an additional bedroom, you know, doing something well beyond the capabilities of what a traditional homeowner would do to their house, right? So if you come on the platform today, you see those opportunities. It's an exclusive platform. It's not open to the public. And within about, you know, one phone call and within 30 minutes uh, learning how it works, you could speak to somebody in your area. One of our uh, new Western specialists that you know operate in your neighborhood, and you'd start receiving opportunities on the on the marketplace um, that you could go look at that would be investment opportunities. So you mentioned you launched during the Great Recession. Can you talk a bit about how the investment opportunities then differ from what's coming up now? Sure. I mean, two thousand eight was a unique time. I, I don't think we'll see that time again. It was it was a time when the real estate market was very inefficient. Uh, for banks that had a lot of assets that unfortunately a lot of people lost their houses and banks and asset managers had to figure out how to reposition all these assets. And, you know, it was, it was a terrible time, but these assets needed to be purchased, fixed up, put back on the market. And the banks didn't really know how to do that. So we made that market more efficient. We got a lot of those assets uh, from the bank balance sheets into the right hands. Um, and then that's changed over time. Thankfully, there's not a lot of foreclosures today. We're, we're in a pretty good spot with single family home ownership. And now the houses that we buy today are different. There's 15 million vacant homes in the United States, which is an unbelievable number and, and very ironic considering we're in the middle of a housing affordability crisis. But very challenging to identify those houses. That's what we do. And uh, we find these vacant homes that have been sitting for a long time, get them onto the marketplace, get them into an investor's hands as soon as we can so that they can repair them, make them habitable again, and release them back into the market as additional supply. Hmm. 
How do those vacancies typically come up? Is it like sort of an inheritance where there's nobody to take it over or are they just properties that have really fallen into disrepair? A wild variety. That's why it makes our job so challenging to find these homes because it, it, it runs the gambit. It's all different scenarios. You mentioned inheritance. I mean, that happens a lot where imagine you live in Brooklyn, right? So mm-hmm. I imagine you probably work 60, 70 hours a week, right? <laughs> and, and, and just imagine you inherit a house in Alabama from a distant family member or something like that. And you know what are you going to do with it? This is not a, this opportunity for you. It's a problem. Um, and I think that happens a lot. You see people sitting on houses uh, for years until you know they get some code enforcement letters and they they finally realize they have to do something with this. And and for you, maybe that's a big problem because you don't know anything about maybe this house is in disrepair. But for a local investor in Alabama, that's a big opportunity. So we're just trying to take that problem and uh, get it into the hands of somebody that that sees it as an opportunity, that that sees value in it, that can add value and, and get it back on the market. So that's that's just how the whole marketplace works. Right. So I wanted to dig into who your client bases are. I would imagine some are already landlords, but are there others who are maybe new to investing? Maybe they're younger folks and they see this as an accessible platform to kind of dip their toe in. Most of them are experienced. Uh, these will be individuals. Like most of our investors are corporate refugees. They've got some business chops. They, they've got some money. They know how to manage things. So those, those skills translate into the ability to manage contractors and construction crews and, and just things like that. They're just looking for a different way of life. Either trading this biweekly paycheck for something that's maybe more exciting, uh, something where they have more control over their life. And and these things. So they're these solo entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and they buy maybe 10, 12 houses a year. And maybe they buy them and fix up eight or nine of those. And maybe two of those they keep as rentals. And the ones they fix up and resell are their income. And the two that they keep are their 401k, right? And they're going to build up that portfolio uh, just like they would build up a stock portfolio. But the new investors, we're seeing a lot of interesting trends. We survey all of our investors. We've got 150,000 plus real estate investors on our platform today. So we can get a lot of intelligence from them. And we see a lot of Gen Z coming into the space, which is actually really interesting. They're actually doing some interesting things. Things that are different. New, uh, new generation, new playbook. You know, we've got a guy in Seattle right now we interviewed just recently, works for one of the big tech companies. And he's built his own technology. He's built his own uh, systems to manage things. He, he, he's got a unique approach where maybe one of these older investors that we mentioned would look at a property and they would say, okay, I've got this $700,000 house. I can rent it out for $4,500. It's not really a great investment. I can't really cash flow it very well. Where this individual finds that type of house with maybe a lot configuration where they can add an ADU, an accessory dwelling unit, which if you follow Washington and a lot of the the bills they're trying to pass there for affordable housing, they want you to do this. So they can find these lot configurations using data, using you know a lot of things that aren't accessible to most real estate investors, and they can they can really maximize the return on these investments. So an example of you know you'd obtain forty five hundred dollars in rent from the the actual house, but maybe you can squeeze out another two thousand from a an ADU unit in the backyard. And these are units where you know, there's the space back there. They just pour a slab. They do a rough in plumbing and electric, and they literally order this house from a factory 
and it looks beautiful, beautiful design. You would never tell. And it's delivered to the, to the, to the location. So they're finding some really unique and interesting strategies using data, using technology to identify these, these locations that would fit this. And they're, they're eking out these higher returns um, and, and solving really this, the, the local problem there of a housing affordability by just providing additional supply. So it's good. It's interesting. It's good. And it's really working for everybody right now. Yeah, that's impressive. I also imagine AI will sort of add another tool to that box as it uh, progresses. So I can't imagine that that generation, you know, they're just, it, it used to be, um, you know, you'd read a book about real estate investing. By the time you've finished reading that book, it's obsolete. You know, things just move so fast now. And with social media and podcasts and all that and the younger generations, I think they're just exposed to information so much faster. They're exposed to so many different strategies. You know, they can look at one asset, they can go online and they can figure out three or four different strategies to fit that asset that they can apply. So in a lot of ways, the younger generation is really outperforming the older generation just because they've got more strategies they can apply to each asset. They can pay more and they can command more rent in a way that benefits the community and benefits the tenant or or, or the individual that they're going to sell the home to. Okay. So sticking with the younger generations, homeownership is an issue for them, especially for folks living in cities where you know the prices are too high. It's not really going to be attainable for certain income brackets, maybe ever. So how does your platform sort of offer a chance at ownership? Yeah, you know that's that that's a big issue in in a lot of large cities where where people have higher incomes, but the housing cost is just it's hard to make that work. So, you know, if I'm in Brooklyn or if I'm in Manhattan and I'm a younger person and I want home ownership, and home ownership is important because that's the number one way you build wealth, right? So, what we're seeing a lot is those individuals are renting in the town in which they live and which is which is less affordable and purchasing rental properties in places like Columbus, you know, North Carolina, areas where you know they can they can build equity, they can build value, they can hedge inflation, but they don't need to do it in the home that they live in. They can actually buy a performing asset. So you're seeing a lot of that and you didn't see that before. This is when we look back on what's happened with our asset class, right? One of the biggest asset classes in the world. If you look back the last 10 years, I mean, this is when single family real estate has moved from private to public and you've got publicly traded REITs right now buying homes. You've got iBuyers buying homes and it's also transitioned from local to national. So it doesn't matter where you are because of the technology, because of property management and things like that. You know, you're able to manage across state lines much more easily than you could before. So something that used to be just a local landlord has really expanded now to the whole country. So it's a big breakthrough for an asset class. It's the first time that those two things have happened with single family real estate. So I want to get into market dynamics a little bit, you know, over the past year or so. We've seen the home sales market slow. Obviously, there's been following the bank collapses more of a credit crunch. We saw that with interest rates rising also. So how have you navigated those obstacles? You know, there's a bigger opportunity now for those that will pay cash. I don't think anybody's worried about the long-term future of SFR asset values, right? I think there's a lot to be worried about in multifamily and office and things like that, but housing is different. You know, we're in the middle of an affordability crisis and it's not going to go away anytime soon. 
we're missing 5 million homes in the United States. That's the lowest estimate. National Association of Realtors estimates that to be 6.5 million homes we're missing. And we're missing them because we can't build homes fast enough to keep up with family formation. There's individuals that families, they have their second, third kid and the second bedroom or two bedroom apartments, not, it's not going to cut it anymore. They need a garage, they need a, a yard, things like that. A lot of demand for that. And, and we're missing 5 million homes. Builders are going to build less than a million homes this year. 830 was the last estimate that they're on track for, 830,000. And, and I don't see any other solutions uh, in the future, right? And, and we think, hey, if we raise rates, we'll, we'll squash some of that demand. We'll put affordability in check. But COVID really ensured that if you increase rates and you drop demand, you're going to drop supply. And that's because everyone who owned a house refried at 3%. I think it's something like 85% of mortgages right now carry a rate lower than 5%. So when you shoot rates up to 7%, you know, fewer people can buy homes, fewer people can afford homes. Listings just drop like a rock. You know, nobody's going to trade their 3% mortgage for a 7. They just stay put. So the only people selling houses are people that have to. So the builders are in a great spot right now because they're the only ones with inventory. And, and these local investors that buy houses that are you know, vacant, fix them up, put them back on the market, they're in a good spot too. They're, it, it, it's a good spot for them right now, but we need to do a lot more to build up the supply. So the rates have affected everything. Who's really been hurt by the rates are the real estate agent community because they're transaction-based, right? That That market's you know, a third of it's been just lopped out of it. And and homeowners, because affordability is, is still a massive concern. So you touched on this a bit, but you see New Western as able to act as a remedy to the housing crisis. So I just wanted you to get into that a bit more. Yeah, I mean, the housing crisis we have now is driven by one, it's driven by one dynamic, a lack of supply. It's an infrastructure problem in our country. You think of infrastructure problem as roads and bridges and all that. Today, it's housing. And it's going to be a, where we come in. You know, The government can't solve this problem. Builders, they won't be able to solve this problem. It's so challenging to build affordable housing today. But we can solve this problem. Local investors can solve this problem. It's ironic that there's 15 million vacant homes in the United States. And this is, this is not a, a secret. This is from the 2020 census. Like People know about this, right? They're just challenging to find, identify, and position. So I think you see a lot of investors, you see a lot of communities taking matters into their own hands. There's 830,000 new builds this year, we expect, and there's going to be at least 350,000 home flips. You know, and you used to think about home flipping in a different light, right? But now, nowadays, you think about it like, okay, we're going to identify these vacant homes and we're going to put them back on market. This is a much, much needed supply. I think it's going to become a lot more popular. Um, certainly houses in distress will dramatically increase. I think real estate investors are going to be a big part in this solution, the, 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 the unlikely hero at the end of the day. I mean, real estate, as a real estate investor in your local area, it's one of the few areas in small business that, are, that is still remains. That's an opportunity that's accessible for, for people. I think we'll see them becoming um, more of the solution. And I think it's also a nice small business story too, because it's not the big corporations, you know, venture capitalists have raised $50 billion in the last few years to create prop tech companies. And none of them are really solving the affordability challenge that we have today. They're solving other problems, but the real estate investors are. 
Deconstruct airs every Monday on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud, or you can listen at therealdeal.com. For comments on this episode or on the series, feel free to reach me or Susanna at podcasts at therealdeal.com. Next week, we're looking at Palm Beach and how luxury home sales haven't let up. Tune in then.